Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Oh, come on now. Oh, no, you're too kind. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited about what we're, we're going to be talking about today. But before, before we dive into it, I do want to just take a, a, a moment to pause just because we, we, we have, as a, as a church family, had a really profound loss this, this week. Um, uh, as many of you probably know, uh, Benny Johnson, after a very long fight with, uh, with cancer, passed away this, this uh, past week. And you know, she's, she has been a tremendous mother to this, to this movement and to this environment. And anyone who's, uh, you know, uh, even thinks they have the smallest bit of, of a gift of intercession in their life should absolutely grab all of her material because she's such a mother to that, to people who carry that gifting. But, but beyond that, she was actually a very, very close friend to, to both me and April. Um, April uh, interned for Benny when we were in school of ministry back in, back in Reading. And she, uh, she spoke into the early parts of our marriage uh, a, a fair bit. Um, she was one of the first people who really uh, helped pry me out of my shell. Uh, I was, when I went to school of ministry, I was, uh, didn't want to talk about the things that I, I saw in the spirit or, or prophetic things just because I had experienced different kinds of uh, pain beforehand. And she would always invite me to things or pull me, pull me towards things and um, was one of the biggest uh, supports and promoters of uh, my first book when I when I put it out and continued to just push uh, and support for for both April and I for a long time and so she is is uh, something I feel very much in my own in my own heart and you know it's a hard thing in 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 our environment in in, in many ways but I again it's it's when we experience loss when we experience something not going the it, it, in alignment to the way that we see. Uh, the, to, to, to the values that we hold, to the, to the things that we believe. You know, there's, it's an opportunity for a lot of things. It's an opportunity to change the way you think, or it's an opportunity to just trust in the Lord and lean into the, the truth of who he is. Now, I do think something that's important is that God's, God's goodness, he he's, is good, he was good, and he will, and he will be good. And, but, but also, his goodness has room for our mourning. His goodness has room for our sadness. His goodness has room for our disappointment. Meaning, we don't we don't have to uh, su- suppressing any of those feelings is, does not benefit or or exemplify the reality of God's goodness. Does that does that make sense? And so, um, I think it's good to to whatever level of influence Benny had in your life to to experience that that sadness as part of celebrating the life that she had and carrying on the legacy of what she, what she carries. And, you know, I, I would be remiss not to do something that I know that Benny would like very much, which is whenever anything was stolen, which is to get revenge as quickly as possible. Um, and so if, if anyone in this room uh, has cancer or anyone in this room has a family member or a close friend who's dealing with cancer right now, I'd love for you to stand up real quick where you're at if that's okay. So a friend, family member, or you yourself, um, just stand up if you would. And everyone around, just extend your hands towards these people. And we just, we just call upon the vengeance of heaven right now, Lord. That we as a family have experienced a loss. We've experienced something being, being stolen. We have experienced someone dying, dying before, before they ought to have. And so right now, we just, we just 
call down upon the, 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 the good, glorious, beautiful wrath of God to, to come against this, this affliction of cancer. If it's in anyone in this room, we just say, be gone right now in the name of Jesus Christ. You, are, you come under the authority of the blood of Jesus right now. We just release heaven into every single body in this room. Every family member that's represented in here right now, we just say, you will live in Jesus' name. You will be restored in Jesus' name. Any negative effects from any treatment right now, will be gone right now in Jesus name and we just bring comfort comfort right now in the name of Jesus Christ any friend or even distant relation that's represented in this room we just release the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow in your direction right now we just say healing and restoration in Jesus name in Jesus name we just say that cancer has no place has no place on any member of the body of Christ we say be gone right now in Jesus name in Jesus name Amen. Awesome. Thanks for doing that with me, guys. All right. Well, um, I've I've got a prophetic word for you guys today. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> this section very excited. <laughs> Other ones not sure yet. That's okay. Um, and to but for this to land the way that I feel like it it ought to, I want to create a bit of a framework, and I want to talk today before I share this word about thinking like a prophet, thinking like a prophet. Now, uh, when you get into like apostle, prophet, evangelist, we can get, I think sometimes a little bit weird in the sense of like, okay, am I, am I a prophet? Am I not a prophet? Am I an evangelist? Am I an apostle? Am I like 20% apostle and then like 30% prophet? And, and then no, you're not allowed to do that. It's, okay. Um, you know, it, some of the best uh, teaching on this that I've ever heard uh, is from Chris Ballatin. I'd summarize it greatly by, by, by saying, you know, being a prophet or an apostle is a, is a job. It's an assignment. It's a, it's a role that you're, you're called to. But it's important for all of us as Christians to remember that we are all apostolic. We are all prophetic. We are all evangelistic. That we, that, that we are maybe called to different roles in different times and different seasons and different areas that we're in, but we carry the authority exemplified by all of those fivefold graces because we walk in the grace of the Holy Spirit. Does that, does that make sense? And so it is important for all of us to learn to think apostolically, to think evangelistically, and to think prophetically. Does that make sense? So I want to walk around this a little bit together. Uh, just kind of pulled out a couple different specific things about how do we think like a prophet? How do we think prophetically? Well, one of the biggest ways is d discernment, discerning the times, knowing, knowing the times and the seasons. And there's this useful phrase that was uh, created in the mid-1800s by a German philosopher fella, and it's called uh, the, uh, the Zeitgeist. You ever heard that word before? Zeitgeist. Uh, my German friends can correct my pronunciation, um, but uh, and it essentially translates to the the spirit of the age, the spirit of the age. And what that was in reference to is these, you know, uh, German philosopher fellows noticed that man, this is hey, it's the mid 1800s. The world's changing really fast. It was the beginning of the industrial revolution. You know, it's like wow, a lot of stuff is changing in a lot of different parts of the world at the same time. We should like figure out what the general themes are. What's the general direction we're heading? What's what's going on? And so, it's a useful phrase I I find because. We, we, it's good to kind of think broadly about what, is, what are the themes of the age that we're in? What are the direction that we're, we're heading in? 
Now, for my purposes and for my definition, the, the zeitgeist or the spirit of the age is neither a good or a bad thing. It's, it's not what the enemy's doing. It's not what God's doing. It's, it's more just kind of this measurement of where is, where is everything heading. Now, I think it's a risky thing to try to define the spirit of the age that you're in. Yeah, it's a great way to set yourself up for looking very short-sighted uh, to your future self and future generations. However, I think it can be helpful to get an idea of the shape of it by trying to explore what, what questions are being asked right now. What questions are people trying to answer right now? And so, you know, if you can think of ones for yourself, but, but you know, some of the questions that I see coming out is, what is, what is identity? What is identity? What makes my identity what it is? Where do I find that? How do I define that? You know, what, what is identity? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do the joke every time, but I can't help myself. I know it's not that funny, but it's, you just can't not do that. Um, what, what is love? What is, how does, uh, many layers. What is, what is marital love? What is brotherly love? What is, what is love when we disagree? What is love when we agree? When does love stop? When does it start? What, how do I, how do I do love? These are all the questions that are being asked right now. There's, and there's different layers of questions. There's, those are some of the kind of big broad questions. There's also smaller questions that get asked a lot. Uh, what team are you on? Everyone's asking that question a lot. What team are you on? <laughs> the Warriors, I heard. That's a basketball team, I believe. Um, <laughs> I know the sports very well. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, what, what, what team are you on? Who are you rooting for? What are you, who's, whose side is your team on? What team is God on? We're not going to go into that direction, but there's several parts of the Bible where people ask that very specific question, and it's an interesting answer every time. First interesting one is in, a, in a Exodus, but anyway, um, I'll let you find that yourself. Um, what team are you on? What values do you represent? How should we govern ourselves? How should others be governed around us? These are questions that we're asking, the age asking. Again, these are not bad questions. These are not good questions. These are just the things that people are wrestling with and having strong ideas about and looking for direction and, and propulsion in. Does that, does that make sense? Now, I'm not going to dwell any more on these questions because I can see it's making some of you nervous. Um, but it's fair to say that those are things that are swirling around. And so if you continue to look at what is, what is the zeitgeist, what is the spirit of the age, you can come up with a lot of things. And you can come up with themes that are more specific. You can probably come up with some specific definitions of like, oh, this, this is what the enemy is trying to do. This is what the Lord is trying to do. Again, I hesitate to make those direct claims just because uh, I, my eyes are not quite wide enough to see all of that at once. But, um, but I have thoughts. And so now, if you want to think like a prophet, one of the first temptations is, as a, a, a prophetic person, is to try to prophesy in response to the spirit of the age, to answer the questions that are being asked. This is something that the devil did with Jesus. If you're the son of God, do this. You know, these, asking these questions get you to answer this question. 
this question. The same, similar questions were asked in the Garden of Eden to, to Eve, you know, did he really say that? Would you really, you know, asking these questions. And so you can choose to try to speak into or respond to the spirit of the age. Now, again, I don't think that's necess necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but I don't think it's necessarily the posture that we ought to take or the highest posture that we ought to take. I believe, I think that there's value in being aware of the spirit of the age. But as, if we want to truly think like a prophet, we need to look at our age from heaven. We need to stand in heaven. We need to stand in the presence of God. We need to stand in the mindset of an eternal king and see what he is seeing, hear what he is hearing, and through that, say what he's saying. If we want to have a positive effect, if we want to have a heaven to earth kind of effect, which is why I'm here, um, and I hope you are too. <laughs> So what does that look like? How do we do that? How does that, how does that come, into, come to pass? Well, uh, I'd love to just dive into that by exploring two different prophets. This is a, we can call this a tale of two prophets. Uh, the, 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 the first one is uh, one of my in, found in one of my favorite books of the Bible for many reasons, uh, the book of Jonah. So if you will turn to the book of Jonah, um, near the middle, page uh, 873 in uh, my Bible. <laughs> Um, tricky one to find because it's only four chapters, so it's really easy to just zip right past Obadiah and dive all the way into Micah without realizing that you got past it. Um, like this book for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is it's very short, just four chapters, easy to read. And um, also, it's, uh, I I've always really loved studying the Bible as literature, kind of looking at the literary mastery of, of the Bible. And this is a great one if you're looking for to start doing some of that kind of stuff. This is a great one, again, because it's short, because it's condensed, and there's great uh, literary symmetry throughout the entire thing. That's quite fun. But I did a little talk about Jonah a couple months ago, um, so I'm going to cruise through this briefly. But Jonah is, is uh, as you probably already know, not the best example of how, how to be a prophet. Um, the uh, only other time he's referenced is a bit in uh, Amos, um, where he's kind of rebuked for prophesying positive things over this wicked king of, uh, of Israel at the time. So not a great track record for Jonah at any part of the Bible. But hey, he gets his own book where he's the uh, hero. Um, now, again, putting your literary hat on for a second, in every other uh, book of, uh, the, the, of the uh, book of, about the prophets in the Bible, the prophets are the hero. They're the ones who are bringing God's message. They are bringing righteousness, and usually people are not listening. That's kind of how it goes. And that's one of the reasons that Jonah is a very interesting book, because it is an inversion of most of the tropes that you find throughout the rest of Scripture. And so it can be interesting because of that. So just to do a brief, quick overview, because I know most of us know most of this story from Sunday School or Veggie Tales. Um, but uh, first chapter is, gets a word from the Lord, hey, go to Nineveh and speak out against that city. You know, prophesy, prophesy, that's, you know, some rough stuff is coming. And Jonah is like, okay, I'm leaving, and goes in the opposite direction. We don't know why yet. We don't know why. We just know that he is heading in the opposite direction. I'm out of here gets on a boat and is sailing in the wrong direction. Big storm comes, the storm is so severe that it scares all these fishermen, uh, not fishermen, just uh, these sailors who are on this boat. And he 
again, this is another narrative uh, and literary inversion. Normally, these would be these are pagan people. They're praying to their various gods. Normally, these guys would be kind of the bad guys or the negative example, but they're the ones who seem to have the best discernment because they're like, hey, it is this guy, isn't it? And Jonah's like, ah, yeah, I was, you know, God told me, specific, yeah, my God is the God of the wind and the sea, now that you mention it. And uh, I did kind of do the exact opposite of what he said. You should just throw me overboard and kill me. This is the theme with Jonah. He's a very depressed sort of guy. Just throw me, throw me overboard and kill me. That's what he's doing. And so they're like, well, okay. So they throw him off. <laughs> and then everything goes fine. And the Lord, uh, I love the way it's phrased in different boards here, but the, uh, and the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter two is Jonah's prayer, his long prayer, uh, very poetic, and, but if you read it carefully, it's a beautiful poetic prayer where he doesn't really apologize <laughs> More just kind of talks about how merciful God is and how great a savior he is and, you know, just kind of tugging on the character of God a little bit without really saying uh, much in the way of repentance. And so in verse uh, 10, God uh, responds uh, fairly and says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. uh, Side note, it's very funny that you have this, you know, several verse poem that ends with someone getting vomited everywhere. I always thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, so that's all of chapter two. We get to chapter three, and he goes into Nineveh. It's a big city. It's going to take multiple days to walk across. <clears throat> he walks across and gives the most lazy prophetic declaration possible. He says, he goes up to Nineveh. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, well, let me see. He went up to Nineveh. Oh, yeah. So it says, then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk. So three day journey, one day in, <laughs> probably passed a lot of people who maybe needed this message along the way, and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In, in the original Hebrew, it's only five words. So like bare minimum uh, usage of, of, of uh, any effort on his part. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, walks through. And shockingly, this word reaches the king, and the king is like, yes, he is right, commands the whole city to repent, even asks the animals to repent, which is great. Um, Sackcloth and ashes, it's in there, you can find it. Um, And uh, full repentance. Now, fun little uh, literary thing again, 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. This word operates similarly to the way it would in the original language, where um, overthrown would mean like turned over or like, like wrecked or, or destroyed. It also is a similar word to overthrown as in turned around or repent. So I think he was accidentally uh, actually prophesying, um, which is great. So good job. Clearly not his intent uh, with the way that he's prophesying, but I think God was helping him out there. So that now this is where we're going to hang out for a minute here in chapter four. So Jonah does the most lazy prophetic declaration in history, goes through, and then uh, we get to chapter four. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Then he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I had said when I was still in my own country? Okay, we don't know why he made a run for it, but we're finding out now. We We don't know why he ran away from Nineveh, but now we are about to find out. 
because um, he's angry because these guys all repented, and God's not going to blow up the city like he was hoping to. Um, Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish, since I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents of disaster. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. <laughs> Bit of a whiner, you know. Um, and so we finally get the twist ending to this of... Oh, he did not want Nineveh to be saved. He knew, he, he knows enough about God to know that this is going to cause a change in repentance and prosperity to Nineveh. 15 second history lesson. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, one of the first great conquering empires in human history. And they were real jerks. They would send raiders to all the nearby towns, murder everyone brutally, and enslave everyone else and bring them back in. They conquered, they were known for their extremely harsh punishment if anyone disobeyed their empire, did not come under their rule. So Jonah probably grew up with these people attacking villages in his area, killing probably people that he knew. And so kind of fair that he would maybe rather have the whole blow up the city uh, version of this story. So just to understand that a little bit. Um, so we go to verse four, but the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Question, important question. One that Jonah does not bother answering. Uh, then Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Still hoping it's going to blow up. Chapter 4, verse 6. So the Lord God designated a plant, like he had designated uh, a, a fish, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to relieve him of his discomfort. And Jonah was overjoyed about the plant, but God designated a worm. Ooh, that worm had an assignment and had a destiny and had a purpose, <laughs> and it was to annoy Jonah. <laughs> Then dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And when the sun came up, God designated a scorching east wind. That wind had a purpose. It had a destiny. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint, and he begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Again, running theme. Um, but God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, <clears throat> I have good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. This is the last thing that Jonah has, says in this, uh, in this story. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not also have compassion on more than 120,000 people who did not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals? Those animals repented too, see? Comes back around. And that's the end. We don't know what happens. We don't know what happens to Jonah. That's it. You ever watch one of those shows, those movies where you get to the end and then it's just like gunshot fade to black and <laughs> something happened, you know? How many of you that, that annoys you a little bit? <laughs> How many of you are like, no, it's artsy and cool? <laughs> Uh, it's funny, I, I, um, 
in a literature class that I did, they said that when they, this is called an obscure ending, so that we don't get all the details, it does this, the story intentionally does not fully resolve. One of the uh, things that the teacher brought out was that when some, when it, with an obscure ending like this, usually the purpose is that the actual story, the actual narrative, the actual plot is not really the point of the story. The point of the story is the question that is asked by the events. Hmm. And so there's a couple questions you could pull out of this story. And there's some obvious things, you know, that you can kind of dig up. But ultimately, when I look at what God says, what his, his theme and thrust is towards Jonah, is really the question that he's extending to us as the reader, is can you handle that I love your enemies? Can you handle that I love your enemies? Now, this is a good question, because the normal Christian response is, I don't have any enemies. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Now, it, it's a little different than it was back in the time of the Assyrian Empire. There's not nearly as many people who are going to ransack your village and, you know, steal everything and all that. Um, so that, and, and we're, we're, our culture... Uh, I think in a good way, has, has lowered our tolerance for, for violence to the point that, you know, you don't have enemies in the sense of someone that you would, you know, beat over the head with a hammer if you saw them, you know, in the street or something like that. However, if we're going to broaden this uh, thought process of what an enemy is, I guarantee that you have people whose plan and purpose you, and, and idea of what they want to do, you don't want to come to fruition. There's probably people who have plans who want to do things that you would rather not happen. Yeah? <laughs> By some definition, that is an enemy. Yeah? There's also people who probably don't want what you would like to happen to happen. <laughs> right? Those people are, in so by some definition, your enemy, yeah? Doesn't mean I would hit them with my car if I saw them walk crossing the street, right? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> um, if not, there's a Sozo department that's available for that. But, um, the, but it does mean that we are at odds. We are, we are, I'm wanting to push this this way and you're wanting to push this this way. And can we handle that God loves that person? Can we handle that God might bring prosperity to that person's life? Might bring success to that person's life? Can we handle that that person might repent and not have to pay a price for what they did? With revelations like this, it's good to roll them around in your mind until you find where it hurts. <laughs> because that's where the Lord wants to begin working. You know? Because there's lots of examples that don't bother me that much. There's lots of people who are opposed to my values that I want. It's easy to want very good things to happen. But there are a few <laughs> where I'm like, Ooh, you know, break their wagon wheels, Lord, you know. <laughs> or their legs if necessary. Um, <laughs> you know, there are things that I care about. There, there are ways of doing things that I think are really, 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 really important. 
And I am tempted to compromise my desire for good things to happen to them so that the right thing can happen in the world. And before, before we move forward to our, our next prophet, we have to understand that the love of God is a vast and mysterious thing. If we summarize it in any form, then we are taking a cookie cutter to the magnet, the beautiful, uh, to the beautiful tapestry of who he is and slicing out one portion and saying, this is God's love. And that is a mistake. It will always be mysterious. And, it will, and when things are mysterious and when things are vast, they often seem contradictory. So meaning the application of God's love will sometimes seem contradictory because love is patient, love is kind. But also the Proverbs tell us that the, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. So be nice, but be blunt. <laughs> you know? So Jonah's not necessarily the best example to follow with regard to uh, what it is to, to be a prophet. Um, the other question that I see uh, asked here is obviously the one I suggested of, can you handle that I love your enemies? And also a question that echoes a lot in Jesus' teaching is, you're carrying my word, you spoke my word, but were you transformed by my word? <laughs> I love the prophetic. It is, it is my favorite gift of the Spirit. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. Um, it's, it's a huge part of my story of learning who God is and how to respond to him and how to love him. And because of that, because that is the viewpoint I carry, I care more about what God has to say than anything else. If it's possible to do it to a fault, I will find that and live there because it's, it's just how I think. I do not care what seems right. I do not care what I think was right. I do not care what I was taught about this or that or anything. I care about what God is saying, and it absolutely supersedes all of that. And I will always stand for that. Again, though, if I say and declare what God is saying, but don't say it the way that he's saying it, and from the heart position that he's saying it, I am rendering that truth void. <laughs> That's what Jonah did. He met, you know, God, by the grace of God, the message still came through, but he did not have his heart transformed by God. And so he did not speak it the way that God was saying it. Does that make sense? So let's go to a more positive example. We got our good buddy, Daniel. Just turn a few pages back to the book of Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel is one of those ones that we, we cannot dive all the way into today because it is, it is a rich and, and deep uh, book. But um, So this is the uh, Babylonian Empire. Uh, you know, history is a little bit fuzzy, but pretty much the, uh, the follow-up to the Assyrian Empire, kind of Assyria part two, they were a little bit nicer a little bit less murdering, which is great. Um, and so you have this uh, Babylonian king who conquers uh, the Israelites. And then we kind of zoom in on this part of the story. There's different pieces of the history throughout the rest of the Bible. But right here, we zoom in on the story of this uh, uh, emissary who's sent to collect the, the best and the brightest. These, you know, bring, bring me your best and brightest, and I'm gonna, we're going to take them to Babylon, and they're going to be raised up in the Babylonian way of things. And so Daniel and his friends are uh, some of the ones that are selected and brought into Babylon. So conquered by an empire, kidnapped from your home, brought into a, 
not only just an empire, but the empire that is repeatedly used throughout the rest of scripture as a symbol for all of human atrocity, Babylon, you know? So you're in, you're in this bad spot. And for the first couple of chapters, there's this tension of the, um, you know, Daniel and his friends wanting to protect their Jewish identity in the midst of this Babylonian culture. They're asking him to eat a certain way. They're asking him to worship certain gods. They're asking him to do things. And while remaining righteous, while remaining honorable, while remaining respectfully, respectful, they still say, no, I'm not doing this. Hey, I'm going to eat this way. Hey, I'm going to not worship this big golden idol that you have. And repeatedly, God shows favor on them. When they, when they um, choose to eat a certain way, they grow healthy and they grow strong and they start to excel and do well in this, in this environment. When the king gets super upset that they're not going to worship a statue of him, and the king decides that the best response to them not doing that is to throw them into a fiery furnace. Another VeggieTales story for you. Um, the... Uh, the Lord protects them, and they are preserved, and they survive this impossible ordeal. Again, the favor of God surrounding them and guiding them. And so this is kind of this tension back and forth, and Daniel is one of the ones who kind of gets the most favor because he's able to interpret these dreams that these kings keep on having. And frequently, he's the only person who can, who can do it. And so, um, so let's zoom in real quick. Daniel chapter 4. Ironically, the same chapter where uh, Jonah ends. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I'm just going to summarize this part right here. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. No one can interpret it. He calls in Daniel, and he has this, this interesting dream about a tree that's growing really large and vast, and this tree gets cut down and, and tore down and this whole thing. And he said, hey, none of my wise men in my kingdom can figure this out. Daniel, what you got? So we jump over to verse 19. So, uh, Daniel 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Abeltazar, that's the new name, Babylonian name that he had been given, uh, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. This is after hearing this, this prophetic dream. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to wiggle around it. Um, Do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Now it goes on to be a dream about, hey, God is responding to your pride, to the, the, the way that you are treating uh, people, and he's going to humble you, and you're going to be thinking like a beast for, for a while. You're going to cra- go, go wild, go crazy, and you're going to think you're an animal for some time. And this ends up with him being humbled, responding to the Lord, and so on and so forth. But so it's a cool, that's a cool story. Um, but I want to zoom in on looking at the difference in very similar situations, how two different prophets respond when giving the word of the Lord to a wicked king. One of them walked through the streets shouting a weak version of it, casually walking through Imagine his little picket sign, you know, with a, you know, in 40 days, you know, such and such will be overturned. So that's Jonah's response. And then when Daniel has that, he says he was appalled and his thoughts alarmed him. And we zip, zip down to uh, uh, later in the verse and he said, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Hey, this is a harsh word, 
a word where God is going to humble you, I wish this wasn't for you. I wish I didn't have to tell you this. Daniel had learned how to love his enemies. Nebuchadnezzar was his enemy. He kidnapped him. He changed his name. He took away his identity. He said, you're Babylonian now. They wrestled on what identity that he, he was, and they was back and forth to the point of death. But he was so able to capture this principle of loving his enemy that he said, that even when it, he did not diminish the word, he did not change his identity to accommodate this, this wicked king. He did not reduce what this word actually was, but, he's, but he cared enough to say, I wish this was for your enemies. I wish this was for someone else. That doesn't draw a full picture of what God's nature with regard to loving enemies looks like, but it does give us a snapshot. Does that make sense? And I will point out that Daniel's story goes all the way to chapter 12, where Jonah's ended at chapter 4. And the only other record of influence he had was giving a wrong word to a wicked king later. Yet Daniel is in this family for generations, leading son after son in this empire, being a wise man, an influencer in this dynasty, generation to generation. He serves many Babylonian kings, brings the word of the Lord to all of them. Not all of them listen. In fact, most of them don't. But he brings it again and again and again. He's offered that place of influence again and again and again and again. And, and if we want to see God's purposes made manifest on the earth, we need to learn to think like a prophet. And preferably more like Daniel. <laughs> it's hard. And we need to engage with the reality that it's hard that God loves our enemies. That God loves people that fundamentally disagree with us. Fund people that fundamentally mis uh, misrepresent, misappropriate what, what he has said. All, all those things. I don't know who your enemies are. I know who mine are. <laughs> But this is what we've been called to, is to love our enemies. So now I want to give this prophetic word to you. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was uh, troubled in my spirit. Uh, if you, I was feeling bad about things, you know. It's because I was on Facebook for five minutes. Um, the the, uh, the, the, the uh, touchy tone earlier when talking about Facebook is, it was because I only go on there once every eight or nine years, if I can uh, avoid it. Um, uh, and so I got on there, and, you know, if you take the last chunk of time, there's some good things that have happened, there's some bad things that have happened. And, and so I, I feel what I feel about those things, but what troubled me always was the response, was the, was the way so many people, and people that I love, uh, responded. Uh, not for, and I don't care so much about what their exact words were, or any of that kind of thing. I care simply that it just didn't feel like heaven coming to earth with the way a lot of people are saying things. And for better or for worse, that's all I really care about is does this sound like it came from heaven, you know? Um, and so I was feeling troubled about this. And I was thinking back to my childhood. I've been, you know, in the church my whole life and been in and amongst, uh, you know, 
different times and, and seasons and whatnot. And I was remembering back to when I was a teenager and gr- my awareness of the world was growing, growing wider. And, and I was looking back between how I see the world then versus how I see the world now and even back to being a child. And I had this kind of lament of like, God, if it, it felt like it used to be simpler. You know, it felt like it was more straightforward. It's so, everything's so divisive now. Everything's so, you know, divisive. As I had that, that thought and that lament, I heard the Holy Spirit say, it may be more divisive now, but it was more divided then. And immediately I saw this vision. And on this vision, I saw a plate. It was like a gigantic platter. And in the platter, as it is in vision sometimes, was the entire world. Every part of the world, every country, all the ocean, it was all laid out in this giant platter. And I could see every person moving on every part of the planet, and every plan, every purpose, every dream, every intent that every person, every organization, every group had, good, bad, and otherwise. I could see all of those machinations and ideas all moving around. And I could see the enemy and his plans and his plots and what he was doing, where he was moving and what he was trying to do and trying to push and shove and, and manipulate and do all the steel, kill, destroy kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, the, the picture kind of backed out, and I saw the Lord's hands come around the entire plate. And it was quickly easy to see that his hands were infinitely larger not only than any plan, than any purpose, than any intent, than any person, but bigger than the whole of them put together. And it wrapped around this entire plate. And I watched him as he pressed this, this, this plate, and it, like you sometimes see with pottery, it folded in on itself more into a bowl. And I saw all these lands, and I saw all these peoples, and I saw all these purposes all pushed closer together. And they were rubbing against each other and grinding. And that was, there was tension and there was, there was stuff as this was happening. And I could feel all the feelings that I was feeling with regard to the, the t- various aspects of the time that we're in, the, the spirit of the age. And I just heard the Lord say, I am pushing you together. And I saw something very simple in that moment, but it was something that was very, very important, and it's important for us to recognize. In the middle of that, I saw these dots appear, just a few at at, at a time, but then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them everywhere. And I said, Lord, what are those? And I heard him say, those are prophets. And I saw them saying what God was saying and releasing his voice into these conflicts, into these, this friction, into these things rubbing together. And I, then I felt this invitation from the Lord. And we need to recognize that the, the, it, was, it may be very divisive now, but it was more divided then, that a lot of what you think was things being more right in the past was you just not knowing what was going on in other places and not being present with other people. And we need to have the, the, the humility to recognize that that has changed about the way that the world functions. But God has always seen the entire plate from the very beginning, so nothing is shocking to him. 
And that as we are pressed together, the temptation is to respond to the friction, is to make sure that the right part is grinded off and that the right part is, is grinded on. But the reality of what I saw, this is challenging. I need you to take this the right way, not the wrong way. But in the picture, it was an ironing, sharpening iron where both, both things created friction that broke wrong things off of both sides of the equation. Again, take that the right way, not the wrong way. Um, um, and I, it, I know this is maybe theologically stressing as far as like the difference between a prophet and not a prophet and all that kind of stuff. We can talk about that later. But I realized immediately that it wasn't like, oh, these are the prophets that God has assigned. It was instead that God had assigned everyone to function as the role of a prophet which is bringing God's prophetic voice wherever you are at. That no matter where you are, no matter how much influence you have, whether you have 50,000 followers or two followers or whatever else, that you have the opportunity to speak with God's voice. And I think all of us as sons and daughters need to recognize that we have stepped into the moment of influence that has been prophesied about you in earlier in your life. You have stepped into a moment where people who need to hear what you have to say are nearby. They can hear you. Are you going to be Jonah or are you going to be Daniel? I'd drop the microphone, but that would be rude to Cooksey. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you going to be Jonah? Are you going to be Daniel? And again, we have to take the moment to, to be sober in our thinking of saying like, hey, I'm not, hey, love, love can look bad when it's, when it's just greasy grace, when it's just everything's all fine. Love can look bad when it's just harshness and more about truth than actual love. It is, needs to be a mysterious thing that we are all humbly pursuing a higher version of, a, a more pure version of. Daniel did not compromise his identity one iota, even though he was threatened to be killed to do so. However, he also consistently respected and honored the authority of the people that he had been assigned to serve. God is going to place you, some of you, in a position of serving wicked kings and wicked queens. And you're going to have to love them and serve their purpose, even though it is a wicked purpose. Why? Because you've been called to be a Daniel who is bringing the spirit of God, who's bringing the voice of God into that place. And we have to be careful as fellow brothers and sisters who are called to another side of that equation of criticizing people who have been called to serve wicked kings. It's, it's in the Bible more than once. It's a hard place to be, and it takes tremendous character, and we should, we should be helping those people to the best that we can because it is hard to serve a wicked king, how to operate with honor, how to operate with love, how to operate with justice, how to not violate your identity in the midst of that. And so the last thing I just want to wrap up with just reiterating is we need to be the, the temp, one of the temptations that the enemy is bringing, and this is part of the zeitgeist, is a feeling of powerlessness, of the world is just going this way. Oh, no, the world is going. We say, we say those things, like, oh, the way the world is going, like it's, a, like it's snow that's sliding off of a hill, and we just can't, oh, no, we just can't do anything about that. You are not all powerful, but you are powerful. <laughs> and when we remain humble in our power, 
If we, if we get prideful in our power, we lament that we can't hold back an avalanche. If we're humble in our power, we recognize that we can pile up the snow, if we're sticking with this metaphor, right where we're standing, that we can contribute. We may not be at the place where we can influence a, a king or influence a policy or influence that, but we can do what God is calling us to do right now where we're at. Does that make sense? All right, so I, I just want to activate this here just a little bit at the end. Um, if you guys would all stand up real quick. Um, I asked the prophetic team to do this, so all the members of the prophetic team, if you come up and line up up, up front here. Um, I just wanted to have the, this opportunity of just releasing an, a prophetic impartation. And these people aren't, aren't up here because they're more prophetic than you or, or, or something like that. It's because these are the people who are they're part of our prophetic ministry here. And they have been putting effort and intentionality towards refining, towards growing, towards developing their ability to hear God's voice. And um, so they do have something to impart because they've been putting intentionality towards this. And so I would just like anyone who's feeling a compulsion, anyone who's feeling that call to be a prophetic voice where you're, where you're at right now, after, once we kind of go into ministry time, I'd love for you to just come up and receive an impartation from these people, just a touch, just something that will just, is like a boost, like a, like a push you in, in the direction of, of growing in how you hear God's voice, mastering, understanding his nature, that we would not only hear him clearly, but we would hear him in a way that is transformative to ourselves and to the people that we speak to. And so if that's something you'd like to partner with, I'd love for you to come up here in just a minute. But uh, for now, if you would just put your hands out wherever, wherever you're at. Um, Lord, I just, I just um, I pray today, Lord, that you would just uh, reveal in each of our hearts where we're at in that great big plate, where you've asked us to be, where you're pressing us towards, where what you're challenging us, that the parts of us that need to be sharpened off in that iron sharpening iron situation, but also those parts of us that need to remain firm and strong and consistent. Lord, show us how to be like a Daniel, how to be someone who can be around the most wicked king and yet bring the pure love of God and transformative prophetic truth to their lives, Lord. We just ask for your voice. We humble ourselves in the presence of your love, Lord. We acknowledge that we have misinterpreted and misapplied your love many times, that we have, been, we have uh, gone so far on the side of mercy that we have abandoned truth, and we have gone so far on the side of truth that we have abandoned mercy, and we recognize that you encompass all of those things and more with the magnitude of your love. And we engage in that mystery today as we pursue your purposes for this earth. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.